Good afternoon, everyone in Augusta and surrounding areas. Welcome to this edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. My special guest today is Ms. Amanda Hollowell. She's Director of Campaigns for the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. I met her just last week on a webinar that her organization gave related to uh, a policy briefing and listening sessions related to COVID-19. I had the pleasure of being introduced to her by Dr. Uh, Diane Evans. Uh, She's pastor of a church here in the CSRA down in Screven County, and she invited me to be a part of that listening session. Uh, It was a wonderful opportunity for me to learn more about the state of Georgia's response to COVID-19, as well as how the various federal programs will be integrated into the state's response. Uh, And then I also had an opportunity to just learn more about what the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute does. So as I listened to that particular webinar and participated in that, I thought uh, this is just the type of information that our listeners, you, our listeners here in the Augusta area, uh, will need. So I invited Amanda to be my guest today, and I am so happy that she is able to join us. So thanks so much for being with us today, Amanda. All right. Thank you for having me, and good afternoon. Uh, Yes. First, I want to get across to our listeners exactly what your organization does. Again, it's called the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. Could you explain a little bit more about that organization for us? Well, we are a nonprofit, uh, bipartisan organization that reviews uh, the Georgia budget and tax uh, law or code um, and to give uh, people first uh, policy recommendations that we think will help move Georgia forward. Okay. So do you consider yourself an advocacy organization? I'm kind of, when I read the definition on the website, I said, hmm, this sounds like advocacy. It sounds like research. It sounds like watchdog sort of things. Uh, Are any of those terms an appropriate way to describe what your organization is? Oh, yes. Yeah. All those things, you know, we encompass within our our house of work. Um, You know, and it goes from hearing uh, community feedback to a need um, or a pain point that might be in that community to looking for policy or budget recommendations uh, that would address that need to also giving advocacy recommendations to uh, grassroots organizations or individuals uh, to go out to go out to the legislators and advocate for those needs. Okay, very good. And your specific title is Director of Campaigns, is that right? And as it relates right now to COVID-19 and its impact on Georgia, can you describe a little bit about how your work as director of campaigns ties into the adjustments we have had to make as a result of uh, this illness in our community? Well, I mean, you know, in the beginning, we were in the beginning, just a few weeks ago, we were in legislative sessions. And uh, we were really addressing the current budget uh, cuts and, and, and challenges that we were there um, and some, some policy that needed to be updated and some administrative procedures um, that needed to be revised. And so 
you know, I was doing more so of like the education and the galvanizing and support around those initiatives. And then uh, session was um, indefinitely suspended. Um, and then it, it came back to uh, give those powers over to um, our governor. And um, here we are now. So my position has changed more so, more so to be a listening person and to share the information that is being that's rapidly being changed and disseminated on a federal and state uh, level here in Georgia. Okay. All right. Very good. Very good. Now, I know you have done several listening sessions because the one that I participated in was for the CSRA. Uh, do you have any other listening sessions that are planned in the future? Yes. Yeah, so we are probably going to go back uh, to do uh, with uh, Faith and Public Life to do uh, Leaders of Faith, a listening session with them to hear what they're hearing. Um, you know, and then we're probably going to circle back once uh, a little bit more movement is happening on the federal level uh, to see and just to hear from individuals and communities across the state um, just about some of the issues and the challenges that they're seeing and some of the improvements um, that they're seeing with how we're rolling out uh, these two really big policy changes um, uh, here in Georgia. Okay. All right. Great. That's good information. So your goal really is to understand what residents of our state need and to be able to translate that into policy proposals that hopefully our governor and our legislators can act upon. Correct. Okay. Correct. All right. Very so, good. You know, I didn't give a date. Uh, I didn't give a date because uh, they're ongoing. Uh, folks can actually reach out to me if they want to host their own listening session and I can hear in the individual groups as well. So we're just, we're wide open with this. Um, and we're just trying to be, um, on those like United Way weekly calls or, uh, you know, like, uh, Envision Athens calls. We're just trying to make sure we're in the space to hear folks, um, especially those who are one closest on the ground doing this work. Okay. And, and you mentioned that, uh, people are free to reach out to you. Uh, would you mind giving us, uh, the email address and the web address for the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute? Yeah. So our web address is, uh, GB. B as in boy, P as in Paul, I as inclusive, um, dot org. And my email is A-H-O-L-L-O-W-E-L-L at G-B-P-I dot org. Okay. All right. Very good. Thank you so much for that information. Uh, one of the uh, topics that you covered during the webinar uh, that I think is very pertinent to our listeners is some summary of how uh, COVID-19 has impacted workers here in Georgia. Uh, you talked about projections for unemployment numbers, uh, and you also talked about assistance that is available to those who have been, those workers who have been displaced as a result of the pandemic. Uh, can you uh, overview with for our listeners a little bit more about what those projections for unemployment are here in Georgia and uh, how the impact on workers compares in Georgia to other states in our country? So, uh, Last week, uh, the last week of March, the Department of Labor released their numbers. And, and just in that week, we had about 132 cases of unemployment um, insurance uh, claims filed. Um, we're looking at a projected job loss around 430,000 um, people uh, in the state of Georgia. 25% uh, of that makeup is from the leisure, hospitality, and retail. Um, employment areas as well as uh, private sector employment uh, taking up about 11%. Um, so, you know, 
tourism is going to get hit hard. Leisure and hospitality. So Georgia is in a um, unique space. Uh, we've got about 3.6 million workers who are uh, low income or, or, or below average. And uh, we are in a very uh, fragile space um, when it comes to unemployment. Okay. And um, you mentioned that Georgia may be hit harder, I believe, than some of the other states in our country as a result of that, because of our economy depends so heavily on leisure and hospitality. I think, well, as overall, it just depends on where you are in the state. But if you're in a Savannah area, which is a very uh, big leisure, hospitality, uh, tourism location here, um, Brookington Institute uh, located that Savannah would be a 13th high city city in the country hit hardest with unemployment because of the nature of the industry makeup and jobs. So it, it what will happen with Georgia and what is very unique about Georgia, the state is not a monolith. Um, and so we're going to see big industries, so in those manufacturing and farming towns, they're going to see a, a significant rise in unemployment as well as in those tourism towns uh, will see a rise in unemployment. So it, it, it depends on where your industry is in your uh, market. Um, what what will directly be impacted by by your city? Okay. But again, Georgia is poised to be one of the more significant uh, downturns uh, in the country. Okay. And and having said that, what assistance has the state uh, and or federal government made available to all of those workers who are potentially displaced? Well, first we you know we have two great acts that started uh, the the first coronavirus act, uh, which was passed a few weeks ago earlier. Um, you know, that initiated a credit for employers to be able to, to, to pay back for paid leave and sick leave, especially for those around uh, child care um, that have child care challenges or health challenges or family members. So that was a great uh, piece of legislation there. The second was the CARES Act, uh, which really bulked up our unemployment insurance. Um, it, really uh, giving a significant amount of money to that program to make sure everyone is able to participate in that program. Um, you know, some of the things that were great about the act, especially on the state policy response, was that, you know, we mandated for employers to file unemployment insurance claims in claims on behalf of their workers if they were anticipating a layoff. Uh, that would make the paperwork process and faster for those employees who would be laid off. Um, they suspended job search requirements um, for those who claimed after March 14th, which is big because if we're not working, if we can't, if we have to stay in and we're not essential workers, uh, then we can't find a job at this time. Um, we also extended eligibility to workers for like part time um, or, or temporary leave. So now those folks can actually apply for uh, unemployment insurance. And we went from 14 weeks of claims to 26 weeks of claims. Okay. All right. Very good. And let's, I think one of the other changes you made reference to, you mentioned part-time workers. Uh, what about what we consider the quote-unquote gig economy? You know, those folks who do things like Uber drivers, Lyft drivers. Um, typically, those folks had not been eligible for unemployment compensation, correct? Correct. And now they are. So that's huge. Um, I would say this. Uh, the Department of Labor's uh, website is uh, this. All these changes have been enacted in the last few weeks, so everything is not up to date. Um, I know they're asking for those folks who are in the gig economy or the 1099 um, tax bracket. Um, we're asking them to. Uh, they're asking them to hold, please, for a couple of weeks to, to look, but they are now eligible to apply. 
Okay. All right. Very good. But, and I assume that there's going to be documentation that's required of them. You can't just come in and say, Hey, I drove over Uber last week. I'm filing for unemployment. Do we even know at this point, what type of documentation the traditional 1099s and, and non-traditional gig worker types will have to provide in order to uh, receive those unemployment benefits? I do not want to speculate because this is extremely fluid and ever changing. I would say, uh, you know, just look at the website and they will provide that information. If you had a, you know, of course, if you had a legit uh, 1099 job or gig economy job or self-employed, you know, at this time, more than ever, all your paperwork needs to be in order. Okay. Okay. So it's always important. I know one of the things that sometimes traditionally we'll say, hey, I'm self-employed and folks like that will underreport their income because that think they think that that's going to help them relieve their tax burden. But that could be a factor in reducing the compensation they get for unemployment, right? If the if the if they have uh, more income than what they've reported, if the government doesn't know that, that could impact their unemployment benefits. I suspect. I, I would suspect the same. Um, I would say that you know whatever right now the golden rule is whatever you filed on your tax returns in 2018 and 2019 is pretty much how they're determining what money you're eligible for okay Okay. All right. Very good. All right. The next area I wanted to discuss, again, with the prospects of unemployment or underemployment for so many Georgians is the SNAP program, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, and other programs out there that help people who are unemployed or underemployed. Can you talk a little bit about some of those safety net programs? Yeah, so, you know, the safety net as a whole is going to be a pivotal in the, in the immediate and long-term response of um of how we get through this COVID-19, right? Um, you know, we, if we're talking about just in one week, 132,000 people applied for uh, unemployment. That means that is a, an extreme amount of folks who are going to be entering into the Safety Net program. Um, and so we really wanted to make sure that on the state level that uh, one state SNAP benefits were increased for maximum households, maximum households. Also, uh, we really wanted to... Um, if the state actually made sure, um, if you were filing for a renewal right now, you got an extension by six months, so you don't have to worry about actually renewing at this time. And then um, they suspended all work reporting requirements for SNAP participants, and that is huge. Um, because, again, if we're in a sheltered place, that means we can now go outside and do some work. But there is room for improvement um, if with, with our SNAP program. And, um, you know, some of our recommendations, you know, would be that big budget that we have coming up for 2021. We need to make sure we're restoring all those SNAP, all those cuts to SNAP so we can increase the caseload. I mean, not so much the caseload, but the caseworkers. We need more people working, um, within the administration right now, administration right now because of the demand. Um, there's little things that they can do administratively, administratively, like waiving the signature requirement, um, and letting the, 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 the outreach workers do proxy signatures, um, minimizing the verification, acceptance, um, self-attestment wherever possible, um, promoting SNAP on the, the Department of Family and Child Services website, and making sure that on that website, when we go through the safety net portal or gateway, um, they're actually identifying local um local community or organizations and resources that actually do the SNAP and TANF uh, applications in those, in those areas. 
Okay. Okay. So basically, it sounds like we're going to have to get geared up. Our, our various organizations um, that accept the applications, the defects, um, the unemployment office, they're basically going to have to get geared up and retool themselves to handle the volume of claims and applications for assistance that they're going to be receiving. Correct. Correct. Okay. I mean, this is it's a new it's a new world, and um, you know, um, as fair to me to say, because the reporting on the national level out there, some of the most people impacted by COVID nineteen will be black and brown folks. Um, so we need to make sure we are strengthening our safety net and funding it for the long term, because uh, a lot of people will be um, depending on these services in order to make it through. Okay. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, one of the other areas, the areas that um, we talked about was recovery rebates last week. Um, and I'm referring, of course, to that $1,200 payment that is promised to some Americans. And to be clear, it's not available to everybody. It depends upon uh, how much money was reported on tax returns last year. It depends upon who was claimed as a dependent on whose taxes. It depends on child support uh, uh, arrears. Uh, it depends on a lot of different factors there. Um, so could you just explain first a little bit about why it's considered a rebate uh, as opposed to uh, a, a cash assistance. If you could talk a little bit about that, then talk a little bit about who's eligible and who's not. I think our listeners would appreciate it. Yeah, so the word rebate protects us from actually getting this filed as taxes. So, you know, if this, if this is looked as, as a payment or income, it would be taxed. So the word rebate protects us from, cap, from, from taxes. Um, this is a one-time payment payment based on your prior year income, um, requiring people to have filed again in 2019 and 2018 to be eligible. Um, you know, the numbers have been out there. The rebate is $1,200 per adult. It is $500 per dependent child at age 16 years or younger. Um, not 17, but 16. Um, the rebate is uh, calculated on a, file, uh, on a sliding scale in effort to target relief to low and mi- middle income families. So the amount is probably reduced. Uh, it's reduced $5 for every $100 of over income of $150,000 for married couples, uh, $75,000 and under for singles, and $112,000 and $500 for single parents. Um, so... They are trying to cover a lot of the bases, but there are some there are some uh, some stipulations to this money. As you mentioned, if you are uh, if you owe back child support at this time, uh, they will use this rebate to offset your back child support. Um, this is also looked at more so not as a loan, but as a cash advance on your refund for next year for 2020. So if you plan on getting a refund for 2020. Um, there might be a a, um, a lowering of your response for 2020 in lieu of getting the $1,200 during the uh, Rapid Response Care Act. Also, for our undocumented or our immigrant workers who file as ICANN filers or the tax identification number and not Social Security numbers, at this moment, they are not eligible for this rebate either. Okay. Wow. And you use the term cash advance. I think that's pretty appropriate here. Let's walk through an example. Let's say you were expecting to receive uh, $1,800 back from your tax refund. If you file and get the $1,200 
that means that they're basically on the net out your refund. It'll be that is are you saying that it'll be the eighteen hundred dollars you're expecting minus the twelve hundred you got, so your refund at that point will only be six hundred? And that that is what they're they're uh that, that's what they're, they're saying that could happen on the irs.gov website yes ma'am. okay okay and are, are there on the state tax level are there any do you know if, if there's is it an impact your state tax return at all no okay there's not it's purely okay. a federal response um for the federal refund okay Okay. All right. Great. Well, the federal return. Sorry, not refund. Federal okay. return. Yeah. And, and one thing we want to, we want to, I also want to stress our organization addressing stuff with everyone is um, we move back um, the the filing date for taxes to July fifteenth. But we're if you were expecting a refund, because that will probably happen faster than this uh, than this rebate, we want you to file as soon as possible. Um, file your taxes as soon as possible because that is that is going to be more money that you need in, in this gap time, especially if you're facing some unemployment challenges. Okay. Okay. All right. You hear that, folks? Go ahead and file that return, even though the deadlines have been extended. If you expect to receive a refund, it's best that you go ahead and file right away and get that refund in. And it's always quicker to file electronically. So please keep that in mind. Um yeah. Another area um, that I really want to touch upon is setting reasonable expectations through this time period. I know one of the things that I've observed when you go into some grocery stores, and I'll be honest, it's not all grocery stores, but you go into some and the shelves are empty. Several shelves are empty. And you're like, okay, but where's all of the you know pasta sauce or whatever? And it turns out that folks have been in early. They've gotten everything and the supermarkets are having a hard time just keeping up. Uh, with the demand at this point. And what I have said to people is this reflects on our previous buying habits. Our grocery store, our system of delivering groceries via those retail grocery stores is not set up with the expectation that all of us Americans are going to be in our houses cooking every day. They are so accustomed to us eating out on a regular basis that the system's just not designed to feed us all from the grocery stores because that historically is not what has been done. And now, of course, the entire paradigm has shifted because uh, we're all having to be at home and preparing meals there, you know, with so many restaurants being closed or doing takeout only and that sort of thing. Um, I think in a similar way, it's probably true that our uh, bureaucratic systems, our government systems are not set up to do all of this. I've heard um, banks, for instance, having a hard time setting up the small business loan programs and things because it's also new. I mean, they get the regulations one day and then they expect it to be open for business and taking applications the next. So um and it's not going as smoothly as people want it to. But I think that's because they just aren't in a position to do that right now. So uh, given that, what how do you think, what do you think people should expect? What's reasonable for their expectations about how long it's going to take to process all of these applications and do everything that um, is, has been promised to us? I mean... You know, this, this happened at a federal level, and I think, you know, if we can explain how government works, uh, federal passes big legislation and states have to enacted, right? Um, 
and at this very moment, like I, I will say that our our state agencies are trying their hardest to respond to the, the direct need. Um, but at the same time, you know, when you go on the Georgia Department of Labor's website, they're going to try to answer you as fast as they can. But we're literally talking about an upheaval of a system um, and changing of our system. I saw many reports even about the, the small business loans. Um, they decided to have those facilitated through local banks. Local banks probably, one, have never had this much money um, access to them, but two, also had to create a system of applications and guidelines and um, websites or portals for folks to apply for this information. So um, it felt good. It looked good on paper. It's still, there's still two uh, decent programs. Uh, we do need a fourth package uh, for longevity economic stimulation. Um, but at this time, you know, I, I would say just be patient. You, you are going to get a lot of busy phone calls. You are, um, you know, your stuff might not be answered at the same time. Um, you know, I would say if you can go to social media, you can go on those Facebook pages or Twitters of the agencies that you're trying to contact. Uh, they are in real time giving updates. Some are even doing a triage on the on, at, online on social media answering people's personal requests. Um, but this, you know, um, this, this is not going to happen overnight. So, like, you know, we're looking at a few weeks out or, or, or and some, and some change um, before we see these immediate impacts and changes and access to this money um, that everyone desperately needs right now. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for your responses to these questions and helping our listeners get a better uh, picture of what's happening, what what has uh, taken place already, what steps our federal and state governments have taken to assist us. Um, as you think through, is there anything else you'd like to share uh, with our listening audience? I think this is a this is a great time for us to advocate for those needs that are being that are not being met. Um, I think. Uh, this is this uh, this COVID nineteen and this health this public health crisis presents an opportunity for us to have a social responsibility uh, um, to advocate for each other's well being. Right. I would also say, like at this time, um, African Americans and, and people of Black and Brown color are probably the ones that are most at risk economically and health wise. So let's make sure we're paying attention to this legislation, being fully informed and educated on the information that we're sharing uh, with our family members and also understanding that we need to be as healthy as possible following the stay in shelter um, orders in our in our communities. So just asking them on your own in your own families, um, because, y'all, we are literally talking about life or death right now. Like This is not a game. Uh, this is something that we need to take extremely seriously um and we need to really plan and be intentional about the work that we're doing um and the needs that make sure that we're we're, we're um answering the needs that are being met but also taking responsibility for ourselves in this process as well okay that is great and there are organizations out there like yours that are designed to help us uh, navigate through this. Uh, people are not out there on their own because an organization like yours is there to listen and to act and to advocate on behalf of Georgia's residents. Right? Right. Okay. Well, and so just to be like, you know, clear, we're not so much, the, we're not a direct service, but we listen to the community and hear their pain points and try to make policy um, recommendations. There, for folks who need services need to, you know, use that 211 line of United Way, look for community foundations locally um, that, that are helping, you know, address 
things that I'm hearing right now are like evictions are big, um, utility payments and childcare. There's a lot of great local resources um, in our communities from your church to United Way um, to, the, to, the, to the state agency that will help with direct services. Our organization is really just trying to listen to folks to make sure that when these policies happen, they are impacting and, and, and being spread throughout Georgia, um, not just concentrating on certain areas um, and certain folks. All right. Thank you so much, Amanda, for being with us. Um, I've enjoyed our conversation. I'm sure our listeners have, too. Uh, and at this point, I will say bye bye and I'll talk to you later. Thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity. Well, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed that presentation. Um, that's uh, another example of how uh, there are various organizations that we may not even know about that are out there advocating on our behalf. Uh, before I close, I want to remind you of a couple of things. One, the census. You know, I'm not going to let that one go. Uh, if you have not completed that census form, either online or called in uh, to the toll-free number, uh, please do so right away. Uh, we need to make sure that all Georgians are counted. And this is another uh reason that um, this COVID-19 is another illustration of why it's so important that folks be counted. Dollars come to states based upon the population of those states, so we need to make sure you're counted. Uh, also, please uh, make sure that you have completed your application for your absentee ballot. Uh, those were mailed out last week. Please return them right away so that you get that absentee ballot. Uh, before I close, I want to always remind you to please uh, check my website, JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. Uh, if there are suggestions, you can always reach out to me that way, suggestions about show topics and other items. That's a way to, direct, to directly contact me. Uh, also, if you're interested in sponsorships of the show, please give me uh, uh, reach out to me there. I close with, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making. Tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. because local matters.